Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. So anyway, uh, Philippians chapter 4, I hope you've got your Bibles open already. We are jumping into uh, Philippians. We're going to, over the next couple of weeks, conclude our sermon series here in the letter of Paul to the Philippian church. That's also for us. As we remember what it is to live. Because for us as Christians, to live is Christ but to die is gain. And so we have this beautiful truth that Paul has been trying to help us understand that the Spirit has been teaching us through this letter that to live life is supposed to be all about Christ Jesus and then at the end of it to die is nothing but gain because we have the promise of eternity and resurrection. And so we as Christians have so much to look forward to. And so because there is so much to look forward to, we should be at a place where as citizens of heaven, as Christians, as those who understand that we are saved by faith in Christ Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, that we should live our lives worthy of this gospel that we have dedicated ourselves to. That our lives should be different. And then throughout this letter, Paul has kind of given details about what that means. That we, we should live differently, willing to suffer and be faithful witnesses in chapter 1, verses 28 through 30. To live lives of humility and service Christ-likeness, chapter 2, verses 1 through 30. And then to live lives of sound doctrine and practice, chapter 3, verse 1 through chapter 4, verse 3. And then as we began to look at his conclusion, which is chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, we see that he is trying to wrap all of these concepts up into some simple commands and exhortations or encouragements for us to walk away with so we don't have a whole letter to have to memorize, but if we can remember just a few simple things, we can understand what it is to live this life worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus. And so he says to us in verses 4 through 7, and what we talked about last week, we are supposed to rejoice in all things and at all times. And to rejoice is not some sort of fake Christian mask. It is instead to begin the practice of celebrating and delighting in those things in your life that are before you, that are gifts from God, that are, are, are just a privilege to have. Even in the midst of dark and depressing times, we can always find things to celebrate and delight in. And so we are commanded to rejoice in the Lord always. And he actually says it twice, right? Rejoice. And then we're also supposed to be gracious to everyone. And that word gracious is really a picture of forgiveness. And so we are commanded to forgive as we have been forgiven. And so we can see that if, if we truly believe on Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we understand that our sin has earned for us the wrath of God and eternal separation from the Father, but Jesus died on the cross to absorb the wrath of the Father, to pay the price for our sins, and then he rose again on the third day, that when we believe this and we confess our sin to him, our sins are forgiven without any kind of limit, without any kind of holding back. And if he will forgive us like that, we should be willing to forgive others their offenses against us. And then he also says to pray. So we're supposed to rejoice in all things. We're supposed to forgive all things. And we are supposed to pray. And when he says pray, he actually says it four different ways. Pray, pray, pray thankfully, and pray. So consider if you are struggling with prayer in your life to go back to something as simple as the Lord's Prayer and not reciting it out of empty recitation, but just instead using it as a framework, understanding that Jesus taught us that prayer should be about worship and submission and then a confession of trust in God's provision for our life. Prayer isn't about, oh God, let me be good enough that you'll do what I want, but instead it is... God, here is my heart. I pour it out to you. And yet in all of these things, I submit 
to your perfect will. May your kingdom come. May your will be done here in my life, even as I know it is in your presence. So that brings us to Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. And so we're going to look just at these two verses today. And you're going to wonder, Michael, how can you turn two verses into a sermon this long? And I'm going to tell you because they're just rich and powerful and there's so much here. And remembering that verses 4 through 9 are the conclusion to this letter. Verses 8 and 9 are the, the end of Paul's summation of what he's already written to us. And so let's read together Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul has already given us the beginning of his conclusion and told us to rejoice, to forgive, and to pray. And now he's going to give us two more things to add to this list of things to remember as we seek to live lives worthy of the gospel. So here in verse 8 is where he begins, finally, finally, brothers and sisters. Now this word finally, this is, uh, if we read, there's still some more of this letter left. Now, so this isn't a in conclusion or here's the final last thought I'm going to share, but it is kind of a, a, a summation statement and it's also potentially a statement where he's actually just saying, in addition, so he's, uh, the, the word in Greek is kind of squishy. It can mean in conclusion and it can mean in addition. And so we can see really what Paul's probably intending is not a, a, a final summation of an, an end of the letter so much as it is, here's an addition to the things I've already told you. I told you to rejoice, to forgive, and to pray. Now here's two more things. So finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, to dwell on these things. So this list here, if we look in the original Greek, and I, I, I love these little things, these things that I, I kind of geek out on, the, the word is, is not there in each of these statements. It actually says, if we were to look and look in a Greek Bible, it says this, it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever honorable, whatever just, whatever pure, whatever lovely, whatever commendable. He doesn't, that, that word is, uh, isn't there all throughout the original Greek, but it's put there so that us English speakers can understand a little bit better, and it, it flows a little bit better, but, but he's just making these, these staccato statements. I want you to get this, guys. Focus on this. Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? He's just like, bam, 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 Bam! Using these words here, it's not supposed to flow and be all poetic. He's, he's wanting to slap us upside the head with these concepts and just kind of like, poof, poof. and I, I have terrible form. So if you were a boxer, don't. I, I played chess in high school. So, um, so we, we have these things that Paul wants us to see. He wants us to focus on. He wants us to dwell upon. But let's look at these words in, in a little bit more detail. The word true. What does it mean, true? To, if something is true, well, true, truth is this, this weird thing in our modern culture, isn't it? We're all starting to espouse this concept that we can have different truths. You just need to live your own truth. Even if it doesn't correspond with reality, you live your own truth. And when Paul says whatever is true, he isn't saying your truth. He wants us to understand what is true is, are, are those things that correspond with reality, things as they actually are. That if, if it is an imaginary thing, if, if it's what you would like it to be, that's not true. But true is the, the way it really is. Ice is cold. Snow falls from the sky. Men are men and women are women. I mean, you know, these kinds of concepts, we don't want to be condemning or political, but we need to understand that there is truth, there is reality. And Paul, 
And, and, and by Him, Christ Himself wants us to understand that truth matters. That reality is, is not something that we can squish around and make into what we want it to be. But instead, it is, it's, it's hard, it's cold, it's, it's absolute. And so, it doesn't matter what our perception is, we must see what is really true. And that's, this is just a simple definition of truth. Even philosophers would, would agree that what is true, well, it's that which corresponds with reality. Now, Paul also says, I want you to think about what is honorable. And we think of honorable, and maybe we think of a judge or you know, a king or something else, you know, just kind of oh, honorable. And that's kind of the picture, but it's, it's, it's more one of just you, you walk into the presence of something and you don't have any words to describe it. First sermon I ever preached here, uh, when I was in the interview process, I talked about the Grand Canyon. Had some pictures of the Grand Canyon on the screen that were blurry and off color because the projector was bad, but that wasn't anybody's fault. That was just me thinking, you know, I should be able to put up pictures. But anyway, when I went to the Grand Canyon the first time, I think I've told you this, you, you kind of, you, you drive up and you see nothing. There's just, it's not, you see the Grand Canyon, but, but like it's just trees. And then you walk closer and closer and all of a sudden you can see something on the, on the horizon. It's like, oh, it's, it, it, I can see the drop now. But as you get closer and closer, if you have any sort of, of, depth perception at all, you realize this thing is huge. And, and it's not just huge, it's deep. And it's sheer. And it's scary. Uh, and going to the Grand Canyon with young teenage boys is like the, the scariest thing ever. Uh, both of our boys, as soon as we get there and, and we see things, we start getting up to the edge, there are sections that have handrail and fence. They don't go to those, of course. They find the place where there's nothing, and they don't just walk up to it, because I'm scared to death. There's no words for this. There's just, you're just like, oh my goodness. And, and the, but the boys, they're just like, yeah, I mean, feet over the edge, running to the edge. I'm, ah, I'm so overwhelmed with the experience of the Grand Canyon. I'm in fear for my children's life as they come up to the edge of it. And this is this awe-inspiring, this dignified, that, that we're not talking about something that's just kind of nice or, you know, dressed up spiffy and, you know, worthy of a little bit of respect. But what we're talking about is this experience of being in the presence where we are afraid of it. It's overwhelming. It is so beautiful. It is so big. It is so powerful. We don't even know how to be in it. It's presence. And Paul says, if something is like that, I want you to dwell on it. If something is just, if it's fair or equal, or if it meets God's standards for righteousness, to begin to think about these things, to dwell on these things. So he says, if anything's true, if it's honorable, if it's just, if it's pure, pure, if it's morally unblemished. And it, it also has a, a mindset of integrity and transparency in motives. Someone who is pure, you, you first of all, they are not without sin, but that sin is not the defining factor of their life. Someone that, that is pure has integrity. When they say they will do something, they do it. And when they do it, you don't question why. You, we've all had those friends, right? You wonder why they help. Because you know in about three to six months, they're going to ask for a bigger favor in return. Remember that time when I helped you move that TV? Yeah, I think it's time for me to move my whole house, you know, all the furniture. Hey, how about you help me out? You know, and since you've got a truck, uh, you're, you're, you're my best friend. And that's why I don't have a truck. Um, just mostly because I hate helping people move. No, you rent a U-Haul, I'll be there. But I don't have a truck and not much fits in the back of a Tiguan. But we're supposed to be looking at things that are morally unblemished, unblemished that are deep with integrity, that, that you know that when they say and when they do, that it's for real. Paul says also to, to those things that are lovely, those things that promote peace, those things that are attractive and draw us to them in peacefulness, those things that are commendable, 
that have good reputation, that are constructive, that are positive. What are we supposed to be doing? Well, we're supposed to be dwelling on these things. We're supposed to be looking at these characteristics, looking at things that are pure and honorable and just, that are true and lovely and commendable, and making them focal points of our thought life. Making them focal points of who we are as people. He says, goes on to say, if anything is morally excellent, it's virtuous or praiseworthy. And a lot of us get this confused. Praiseworthy meaning something we like? No. Praiseworthy meaning it's something that would be approved by God. What are we supposed to do with all these things? We are supposed to dwell on them. We are supposed to think on these things. This word dwell, other translations you're going to find in there, you're going to see think on these things. It can mean ruminate. Everybody knows what to ruminate is, right? I mean, a a ruminant, a cow. They sit in the field, they eat a little bit of grass, goes into the first stomach, then they kind of it up, and, and then they chew on it some more, and it goes down. You know, they've got a number of stomachs, and this whole process of chewing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again. And some of you are a little queasy now. And um, that, it's not supposed to make you queasy. It's supposed to help you understand what you're being told to do here, that this, this practice of thinking about good things, thinking about things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable, that are morally excellent, that are praiseworthy, that thinking about them is supposed to be so much a part of your lifestyle that it is like a cow standing in the field chewing its cud. It's an over and over and over and all the time kind of process that is meant to keep you alive spiritually. We're supposed to dwell on these things. We're supposed to study them intently, to carefully take them into account, to closely scrutinize these things. And in other words, when we see things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, that are morally excellent or praiseworthy, they are supposed to be consuming our thought processes. Our mind and our heart are supposed to be completely filled Not with the garbage that we fill them with, but instead with things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable that are morally excellent and praiseworthy. What it really boils down to, brothers and sisters, is that Paul is telling us what we think about matters. What we spend our time dwelling on and contemplating and meditating on over and over again throughout our day, it matters. It's important. It is significant to your spiritual health what you choose to dwell on. Now, I, um, I've worked on construction sites a lot in my life. Uh, when I was young in construction, it was the 90s, and we were listening to grunge a lot, you know, so just, anyway, I still jam out to those songs, uh, and I didn't even need the pot that the rest of the guys did, uh, but there was that job site, but, but all day long, same music over and over and over and over and over and over again. When one of those songs comes on today, do you know what I can do? I can sing along. I mean, just, just like I am all in. And anyway, um, I, I could like do, do it right now. I could just start singing, uh, but it's not appropriate. And then, then a, another job site I worked on. I was actually at a seminary. I was working on a construction crew at the seminary. And guess what got played all day long? Well, it was still the, the 90s. Wow, you're old, Shelly, and you're married to an old man. Um, it was still the 90s, and, and we were listening to Rush Limbaugh all day long, you know, just this, and, and, and conservative talk radio. And you just, you went from good morning to I hate the world, right by the end of the day, because your mind was just over and over and over and over and over again, confronted with these things. 
Your thought life matters. My thought life matters. What we put into our mind, what we ruminate on, what we dwell upon, it is significant to your spiritual life and to mine. And if you are filling your head with Seven Mary Three or Rush Limbaugh, it doesn't matter. It's going to be in there. And when you are ruminating on that, you're dwelling on that, it will define who you become and how you are shaped. See, we we tend to think that that the things that we think about just don't matter. Oh, I'll just daydream, let my brain wander. Oh, it matters immensely, doesn't it? Because it can define our day. It can define our character. It can define what kind of Christian we are by the time what we're thinking about becomes what we live out. So Paul, and God through Paul, is encouraging us to consider our thought lives. To be contemplating and thinking about those things that are real, that are true, that are honorable, that are just, that are pure, that are lovely, that are commendable, that are morally excellent, that are praiseworthy. To stop allowing our brains to be filled with and consumed with worries and fears and lies and politics and instead find the things in life that meet these standards and to make them the center point of our thought life. Because, here's what one commentary said, how they summed summed it up. As a man or woman thinks, so he or she is. What you think about determines the trajectory of your faith. What you spend your time contemplating what you spend your time worrying about, what you spend your time consumed with trying to to think about and figure out and cipher through becomes a defining factor in your faith life. And so if your mind is filled with things that are untrue, if your mind is filled with those things that are dishonorable, unjust, impure, ugly, and to be hidden and ashamed of, you will become the kind of person who lives the things that you are thinking, the things that you are dwelling upon. So this is why our thought life is so critical. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. It's interesting that when Paul says, don't be conformed to this age, he doesn't say, make sure you vote right. He doesn't say, go out and do politics. He doesn't say, you you know, don't let the things of this world, but destroy them, fight them, battle them. No, he says, change the way you think. Change what you're dwelling on. Change what you're pondering. Change what you're meditating on. Let your mind be renewed. How do we renew our minds? Well, actually, we don't do that so much as we begin this practice that Paul has given us in Philippians of choosing to think about the right kinds of things will become what makes it possible for our minds to be renewed. So what you think about, what you dwell upon, will determine whether your mind is the same old junk heap that it's always been, or it's renewed, and gives you the privilege of no longer being conformed to this world and this age and the things of this world, but instead walking in the good and perfect and pleasing will of God. In Ephesians 4, he says this, Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So in other words, he's saying, if you've really heard the gospel message, you really know the truth of Jesus Christ, here's what will happen. That you will take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity, of the truth. Your mind and what you put into it and what you dwell on is key to renewing who you are that you might become more Christ-like. 
And so if you are constantly filling your head with garbage, you will always get garbage out of your spiritual life. But if you learn how to walk in this this command, this, this statement, this encouragement from Paul to dwell upon, to think about those things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and morally excellent and praiseworthy, think about, dwell on, ruminate on, live in these things in your mind because that will make it possible for you to live these things out in your everyday life. Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes this, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. There are lots who are trying to convince us to think about worldly things, to focus on the things that are right here in front of us, to find all the negative, to find all the, the pain, the evil, the suffering, the sin, to think about those things to ponder our own sinful desires over and over again and daydream about what we would do if we weren't bound by this or that. And Paul says that's all just emptiness and deceit. Instead, change what you're thinking about and think on those things. I'm going to read it one more time. You know it, right? that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, those things that are morally excellent and praiseworthy. In your mind, dwell on those things. Live on those things constantly because they will determine the trajectory of your spiritual life. So Paul says that you need to think rightly. But he doesn't end with just thinking rightly. He says this next. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. So this question, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do as Christians? And and the answer is, is actually kind of simple, actually. You see, a lot of us were so hung up on trying to figure out God's will for our life. Oh God, what is your will? How how should I, what do I need to do? What's the next step? And, And we get so consumed with that that we forget that the simple things of this Christian life are the things that we should be doing first. That that his will for each and every one of us, first and foremost, is to look more like Jesus. His plan, His perfect desire for each and every one of us, first and foremost, is to live a fruitful Christian life. And so we get this, this, oh, what am I supposed to do? And Paul says this, here's what you're supposed to do, what you have learned and received and heard. In other words, the sound doctrine and teaching that you've already gotten. You learned it from us. You received it from us. You heard it from us. You need to do that. And then do what you have seen in other believers to imitate those believers who are imitating Christ. To begin to look like them as they look more like Jesus And you too then will look more like Jesus over time. So what are we supposed to do? What's God's secret will for your life, right? Well, it's not a secret. Do what you've already been taught. Do what you've seen modeled to you by faithful generations that have come before. The problem is, is a lot of times we think that our problems are unique. They're not. There is nothing new under the sun is what uh, Solomon teaches in Ecclesiastes. And, And what he means by that is, yes, the circumstances are a little different, but the struggle is the same. The pains are the same. The temptations are the same. And so those who have gone before us and been victorious, to follow after them is no shame. To do things like they did it is a way of achieving success. So what's the secret to the Christian life? Do what you've been taught. What's God's will for your life? 
listen, where you work and who you're married to, wonderful things to be, you know, concerned about over time. But first and foremost, focus on doing what he's already told you to do and living what he's already told you to live and walking like he walked and like those who have been faithful before you have walked. So what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to live lives of action guided by the clear teaching of Scripture and the examples of other believers who have gone before us. We're supposed to be not just rejoicing and forgiving and praying and thinking, but all of that should result in a life of doing and action and stepping out and being what we are supposed to be in Christ Jesus. James, uh, Jesus' half-brother, same mom, different dad. Uh, which, you know, when you're the son of God, the only begotten, it's a... Yeah, anyway, uh, James, half-brother Jesus, he writes this, that we are be, to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. He says, if we just hear the word and we go, oh, that's nice. I agree with that. We have done nothing but deceive ourselves. It has not changed us. But instead, we are supposed to do what we have seen and received and heard and seen modeled to us by others. A little bit later, James says this in chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. He says, you believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Or knowing the truth without living it out is worthless? So when we go back to what Paul has said to us, we are supposed to not just think about, but also do. Do what? Do what we've been taught. Do what Scripture clearly and plainly teaches us. Stop looking for the secret will of God and live firmly in the clearly revealed will that He has for your life, which is what? Obedience. Walking in Christ-likeness. Following in the footsteps of those who've gone before. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. And then he gives us this promise that should just like knock all of our socks off. And if you do, the God of peace will be with you. Oh, doesn't that sound good? If we look back just a few verses before, in verse 7. He says to pray, and to pray, and to pray thankfully, and to pray. And he says, if we pray instead of worrying, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's pretty cool to talk about. If you pray, the peace of God will come upon you. But here he says, if you do, if you live a faithful life, one that flows from rejoicing and forgiving and praying and thinking rightly, then you begin to do. It's not that you'll get peace. It is the God of peace will be with you. Previously, he wanted us to rejoice in the provision that comes from God, the peace of God. But when we do, when we live out this Christian life like we're supposed to, he says to us that the very presence of God will be with us. And I got to tell you, there is a big difference between just the, the provision of God, which is something that we would rejoice in, compared to the very presence of God, which will redefine who we are and how we walk and, and everything about us completely. I mean, you guys, isn't it nice 
<laughs> I used to always love getting cards from my grandparents. Why? Because it had money. Right? What The provision from my grandparents was nice. As they aged and I aged, the denomination of the bills got smaller and smaller, but it was still nice to get a card. That provision was cool. You know what was even better? Are the weekends that we spent at their house playing cards and getting beat playing cards. Because my, I think my grandmother cheated and my grandfather was like a card shark. And it was always rummy, gin rummy, and you always lost. But man, it was fun. And then there was the, 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 the being in their presence and opening the fridge and, and playing leftover roulette. You know, where everything's in a country crock tub, right? Remember the, the you, know, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? And you, you open it and you wonder, how long has this been here? And will it kill me? Right, but man, a birthday card with, with some cash was nice. But to be right there with them and living life with them was so much better. So much richer. So much more full. Did you get the difference? Man, the peace of God. It's like a birthday card that's got just what you need in the moment. How awesome it is. I know you're out there and I know you love me. And I know you've provided for me as I pray to you. But Paul says, as we live this Christian life faithfully, we won't just know the peace of God, but we'll know the very presence of God. We'll walk with him. We'll hang out together. It'll be like playing gin rummy with God. Well, maybe not. I don't know if he plays gin rummy. But you get the picture, I think. Don't you? The difference between provision from a distance and the presence of the one that you love and that loves you. And so this should be an encouragement to us to do the Christian life, to do what we have learned, what we have received, what we have heard, what we have seen. Do it. And the God of peace, he won't just provide for you from a distance. He will be with you in every circumstance. And understanding this will help us to understand a couple of things Paul's going to say over the next couple of weeks about suffering, about difficult times. Isaiah 26.3, the prophet says this, you will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for he is trusting in you. What a privilege it is to trust fully in the Father knowing that his peace will be ours and his presence will be right there with us. So as we wrap up this morning, Paul leaves us with these last two thoughts. Think rightly. Because what you focus on as a believer matters. It matters, brothers and sisters. Do not treat your thought life and the things that you're putting into your mind as some sort of secondary thing, but they are critical to your success as a believer. And then do, do, live a life both of faith and action. Do what you know, do what you've been taught, live it out, and the very presence of Almighty God, the God of peace, will be with you. So here it is, the whole list. If we were going to wrap up all of Philippians and put it in one little neat little t-shirt or encouragement card bundle, we want to remember these things. To live is Christ. And to do that is to learn to have a lifestyle where we rejoice in all things. Forgive as we have been forgiven. Pray in submission to eliminate worry. Think on the right things. And then do what we have been taught and seen in others before us. 
And what will this be? This will be a life then where the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will be provided for us. And the very presence of God will be with us. So, to live is Christ. And to live this lifestyle is to rejoice, forgive, pray, think, and do. Because for you, for me, for everyone who is a believer on Christ Jesus, to live is Christ. To live is to live a lifestyle of rejoicing and forgiving and praying and thinking and doing. Because when we pass, when we move on, when we go to the next era of life, it will all be gain. And so faithfulness today costs so little compared to the reward that is to come. To live is Christ, to die is gain. This morning, I wanted to just give you a moment or two in thinking about what needs to change in your life. What kind of practices do you need to to institute, to be living a life for Christ? Some of you there's a chance that maybe you need to start from the very basics in the very beginning and understanding that you are a sinner separated from God because of your rebellion against Him. He created us in love, but with a responsibility for obedience and faithfulness to Him. But all of us, like Adam and Eve at the tree in the Garden of Eden, all of us have chosen to rebel against God, to violate His standards, to reject His rule in our life. And what we do by rejecting Him, what we do by rebelling against Him, is we earn for ourselves His wrath and eternal death. But God loved us so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus, who lived a perfect, sinless life, who died on the cross to absorb the wrath of the Father and pay the price for your sins to take the punishment for you. And then on the third day, He rose again to prove He really is the Son of God and He really can save you and I from our sins. And the truth is, is that anyone who believes on Him as Lord and Savior, who believes that God raised Him from the dead, can be saved from their sins, can be made in right relationship with God, can be forgiven of their rebellion against the Father. And begin to live this life that is renewal and rejoicing and peace with God and the God of peace in your presence. So I want to encourage you, what do you need to do to to receive Christ for the first time today or to begin to implement one or all of these things more faithfully? Do you need to rejoice more, to be thankful, to celebrate? Do you need to forgive someone or maybe lots of someones so that you can walk more faithfully with Christ? Do you need to be working harder to give up more in prayer? Do you need to change what you're thinking about and what you're putting into your mind? Or do you need to just simply start doing? Do it. Rejoice, forgive, pray, think, or do. Worship team, if you guys would make your way up slowly and we'll uh, share in a moment of prayer. And then we'll close together with our last song of the morning. So let's, uh, let's pray. If you'll close your eyes and bow your heads. You know, I'm not, not a big one on invitations or anything, but if there's anybody here this morning that if you need, <clears throat> you know that you need to trust Jesus Christ for the first time or renew your commitment to Him, I just want to encourage you to, to pray what you feel, to talk to Him about what you understand And to ask for his forgiveness as you confess your sin. And others of you, you're in a place, maybe you're not living like you should. You're not thinking like you should. You're not rejoicing like you should. You're not praying like you should. Or maybe you're just not doing what you know to do. Would you make a commitment? Would you talk to your Savior, your God? And see what the next few days need to hold for you? Discover what next steps he would uh, have for you in living out this life to Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the clarity of your word. 
that even, even if I, as, as the preacher, as the pastor, even if my words stumble, even if my thoughts don't come out clear, I know that your word is clear. I know that your truth is sure. You have given us these commands based upon a promise. And that first promise that's for everyone is that whoever believes will be saved. And to be saved is to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that you raised him from the dead. And once we have begun that relationship with you, your word speaks so clearly that we are to rejoice, we are to forgive, we are to pray, we are to change what we think about, and we are supposed to be living a life of doing what we know to be true. And so we thank you for the promise, and we thank you for the clear commands that tell us what our next steps are as believers. We want to be faithful to you. We want to be free from the things of this world. We want to be walking lives of peace and experiencing your presence. And so give us the strength, Holy Spirit, to walk in these, to walk in rejoicing, to live a lifestyle of forgiveness, to have a habit of prayer, to reject the thoughts of the world and begin to think on things that are of you and then to do what you've given us to do. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this time. I pray that you would give us boldness to live out the choices you've laid on our hearts this morning. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you need to talk to somebody, myself or the other elders are available. Or grab a friend. Ask them, hey, I need to make a commitment and I need somebody to hold me accountable. More than anything, we want to see each of you grow up in Christ-likeness. To know Him and to make Him known in your life. To move through the process of believing and belonging and reaching and multiplying so that you might learn what it is to live Christ. So let's stand up and we'll sing this morning about the King of our life who is worthy of all of these things and our faithfulness.
got some great stuff coming up this week. Monday night Bible study will be here at 7 p.m. So don't uh, miss that if you're interested. Ladies Bible study begins this Wednesday night. A new series on anxious, not how to be anxious, but how not to be anxious. So uh, most of us have the former down, but the latter is a little bit of a struggle. So that'll be Wednesday night, 6.30, down in the women's ministry room. Student ministry meets Thursday night, 6 p.m. for snacks, 6.30 p.m. for the event. And then uh, 1829, we'll be meeting here, not at John and Tara's because they'll be out of town, but we'll be meeting here, and we're doing nachos. So we're doing chips, cheese, and uh, meat. You guys bring other toppings, sides, and desserts. So we'll finish out season one of The Chosen. And of course, next Sunday, we will have uh, our Sunday Bible School at 937 and our regular service. So God bless you guys. Hope you have a great week of rejoicing and forgiving and praying and thinking and doing. God bless. See you next week.